This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. The 2020 Inglis Australian Easter Yearling Sale will offer 514 yearlings of the highest quality. The sale features siblings to 181 stakes winners, including 52 Group 1 winners, as well as the progeny of 170 stakes winning mares. 58 high-profile stallions will be represented. Those with the largest consignments are Schnitzel, I Am Invincible, Capitalist, American Pharaoh, Not A Single Doubt, Fastnet Rock, Sebring and Exceed and Excel. The progeny of 15 first season sires will go under the hammer. The 2020 English Australian Easter Yearling Sale will be conducted over two days, Tuesday, April 7, Wednesday, April 8 at the world-class Riverside Stables Complex at Warwick Farm. Selling will commence on both days at 10am. It's a stunning catalogue. Our special guest is champion Queensland jockey Jim Byrne, a man who's ridden well over 2,000 winners, four Brisbane Jockeys Premierships and a very healthy number of Group 1s. We're talking about his win in the Queensland Derby on Riva San, uh, trained by Peter Moody. Now, she'd won the Oaks, Jim, hadn't she, with Scott Seymour on board? Yeah, correct. It, um, I had a lot uh, to do with Peter. I, I, I done most of his riding, Peter Moody, that is, uh, when he was up here in Queensland. And um, uh, Peter subsequently moved to Melbourne and, and, and started filling this stable with other riders and whatnot. And uh, Scott Seymour, as, as you said, won the, won the Oaks on her and, uh, he got he got suspended. So my manager at the time, Trevor Lansky, chased her as quick as he could, mm. knowing Scott wasn't going to be able to fulfil uh, the engagement. Because, oh, uh, so you knew she was backing up in the derby? Yes, correct. Right. Uh, well, we, we had that idea that she was going to back up in the derby. And right. So we chased Pete pretty hard, and, and uh, you know, when he said yes, I'm thinking, oh, this is a second and none chance, you know. And, mm. um you know, subsequently she came out and she won the derby, but I don't think she actually won the race thereafter. No, you're dead right. She had 13 more starts after that derby win and she never won again. Now, you might think, Jim, that it, it takes nothing out of them, but it does. Yes, yeah. Well, she was, you know, I mean, like, and that day when she won the derby, I actually, um, you know, it, she was really strong. It was a dominant win. She ran away with it. Uh, she, I'd give her a bit of space at the 300 and she just ran away from it. So you thought, you know, she was just going to come back in the spring and just be something, but she just wasn't able to do it any thereafter. I think it literally went to the wealthy many times with her. Mm. You got a very pleasant surprise in the winter of 2017 when Peter Snowden asked you to ride a horse called Red Zell in the Doombin 10,000. And this was to be the horse's first major win. We all know what he's done since. Were you on his back long enough that day to judge whether or not he is the best horse you've ridden? Yeah, probably <laughs> probably wasn't. Uh, it was only a, <laughs> 10,000, only 1,200 now. So mm. uh, I was only on him for a minute, minute eight, minute nine sort of scenario. So, mm. um, but I did do a little bit of track work on him. And you know, he was just a, he's a, just a, you know, he's a gentleman. He's just a gentleman, the horse, and mm. he's very, very easy to ride. He jumps out, he puts himself straight in the race. But um, when I, I think Kieran was going to 
McKeown had a choice between Red Zell and another horse of Peter's, and he jumped the other way. So uh, I don't think Kieran actually had that opinion of the horse either so no, at that, at that mm. present point. Um, but when he won, it was just such a strong win because uh, that day there, there was another horse in the race that was on speed as well. So it looked like it could be a very, very fast run, mm. 10,000, but uh, we were able to jump out and actually back off the tempo and give, give ourselves that little bit of a breather. Uh, and, you know, again, it's very, very difficult for those when you're leading those big fields, all those good fields, to find that happy meeting where nothing comes up and a noisy, and you're still able to get that bit of a rest so your horse has got that real good turn of foot. And mm. I think we run one eight, one eight nine or something like that in the race. So yeah. no, it wasn't exactly a muddling sort of affair. Mm. Well, Peter Snowden never forgot the good job you did for him on Red Zell because he popped you on a nice little horse called Kalanda about 12 months later in the famous Ramoni Handicap at Grafton, and you saluted again. Yeah, yeah, well, I've, I've had a pretty good association with Pete, and uh, I've got to say, just get, without getting off Red Zell too quickly, I did taste the ride in the, uh, in, the, in, in the Everest on him on two occasions. I actually did you? Him, so, yeah, you're never going to get cured off him. Um, yeah. But, yeah, look, uh, Kalinda, he was... Um, now, Pete's always been a you know huge supporter of mine, and he's such a gentleman. Both Peter and Paul, they're just good people. Um, they work very, very hard with their horse, and you know, any opportunity that they, I'm, I'm able to ride from, I'm so pleased and um, you know honoured to, to actually have that association with that stable, um, where they give you those sort of opportunities, and it's always good to pay them back when you're you know giving the good rides and yeah. um, giving the good feedback. And you know, I was just so pleased. I've never won a Ramoni before, and Mm. Um, you know, he was a, he was I think mean, he was second favourite or favourite that day. So mm. um, you know, he, he just there was no pressure. They just tell you to go out there and do your job and yeah. you know, they they're such easy people to ride for. Mm. You had a terrific winter carnival in two thousand and seventeen. You also won the group one JJ Atkins on capital gain for Paul Butterworth. He was the horse with a stack of owners, wasn't he? Correct, yeah. He um uh I think uh, Ryan Plum was riding prior to me jumping on him, and uh, uh, he was just—he was just a horse that was doing a few things wrong, and um, they—they subsequently put blinkers on him. Uh, and when I—I I, I remember following Hugh Bowman in the run, and, and, and just trying to give him that nice, good, clean run mm. without getting too much interruption. Uh, blinkers on first time, he was actually over racing a little bit down, going down the back, but mm. um, you know he, he was. He was just a real smart horse, and I think he got injured thereafter uh, that that race. And um, mm. I don't think he—I think he's won maybe two more after that. But yeah, uh, yeah it was a big thrill that day. I mean, like to win two Group Ones on the, you know, one of your big race days up yeah. here in Queensland yeah. uh, was huge for me. And a big race named after a legend like JJ Atkins. Correct. <laughs> yeah, I did a little bit of riding for him when I was younger, but. Uh, yeah, he's, I mean, it's just such a good race. Uh, plenty of good horses have come through and won that race, and um, you know, it was just such a big thrill for me on the day. Well, here's another one you can dine out on. You rode General Nadim five times in his four-year-old year. You won the Magic Millions Cup on him in 1999. Uh, you rode him at his last two race starts in Sydney. He was a real sprinter to look at, wasn't he, Jim? He was compact. He was low to the ground. 
And what about that hind quarter? Yeah, look, you know what? I, I still today say that he's the best sprinter I've ever ridden. Um, mm. Not because of the races. I, I, I think I only ever won maybe one race, two races, maybe something mm. like that. Maybe only one race. Yeah. But <clears throat> just the sheer power of the horse and uh, the sectional times that he can run you. Um, I, I, I always recall uh, when he was with Peter Moody and, and, and Bill Mitchell, mm. um, when when I started riding him, Clary Connors had him at the time. Yeah. Uh, uh, but Brooks Swanton used to do a lot of work on him and do most of the work on him, I should say. Mm-hmm. And I remember just 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 watching him work a couple of times, and the the times that this horse can run, uh, he was he by far he was the best sprinter I've ever ridden. Was he? Um, he was just a he was a sh- just a machine. Uh, the times he could run. Um, and just the look of him as well. I mean, look, he was just a beautiful looking animal and powerful, um, powerfully built, very, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and probably you know, Brooks Swanton had the key to him too. He he knew that happy medium because he was quite strong in the bridle when he worked him. Uh, he wanted to go quicker, and you know, was, most horses, good horses, they run you thirteen or thirteen and a half when you when you think you're doing fifteen sort of scenario. And that 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 was him uh, a couple of times there. I went to Caulfield to actually work him for Clary Connors, and um, I made sure I put the beeper on him, knowing that you know the troubles that Brooke used to have with him, trying to get the times right with him. And mm-hmm. I thought I was good, and then Clary's come back, and yeah. he's actually giving me a mouthful, saying, "What the hell were you doing on that?" <laughs> I done. I did a good job, Clary, but no, I didn't. No. But, uh, yeah, he's just one of those horses that seems to run those quicker times, and you know, it doesn't matter how much you think you're going slow with him. You know, yeah. you're not. He's, he's, he's a very, very crazy horse. Yeah. So. Jim, you've ridden five winners in a day five times, two of those occasions at Doombin. Are you one of those jockeys whose confidence builds race by race when you're on a hot streak? I remember Malcolm Johnston when he was at the zenith of his career. Uh, he'd win one, he'd win two, and you could see him getting cockier. <laughs> Race by race, he was a real confidence jockey, Malcolm. I think we're we're all we're all confidence. Uh, our confidence builds the more when as we ride. Mm. Um, I've I've always thought, uh, you know, very much so. I mean, like when you when you start to you know pick a few winners together and you look at your book, you go back in and and, and you think, oh, this thing can win. And uh, I don't know, it's just things just open up for you. Things just happen for you and. Mm. That's that's what I think it is. I mean, like when you're when you're riding on a on a on a crest of a wave, things just happen for you. Uh, those runs that you yeah. think aren't going to eventuate just open up, and yeah, and the position that you you think you're not going to get into, you just happen to fall into. Mm. Um, and and that's yeah, it, it is a lot to do with confidence. And I've never been one. I've I've always believed that you got to do a lot of form. Uh, I've always been very very um, Trevor Lansky basically just trains you into. Just do your form, do your videos, and know what you're you behind. Have, yeah, yeah, you, you, exactly. I mean, like, know your horses around you. You've got to know it. And, mm. um, so, you know, with the confidence comes the you know educating yourself going out in the race. You've got to know what's what's going on in the race and yeah. what horses you're following. And I think if you do that, you know, success is going to go your way mm. uh, nine times out of ten. Yep. We all have bad days, but uh, you know those good days. It just seems to happen. Yeah. Ipswich is a specialist track for horses and for jockeys. And I've heard it said that nobody rides Ipswich 
better than Jimmy Byrne. Uh, you've got to get on your way a bit early there, haven't you, in, in most cases? Well, um, I've had so many discussions with journalists over Ipswich before, uh, and they all say you've got to go at the Forex sign or, mm. uh, or or something along those lines. It's 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 far beyond that. It's it's just from the half mile home. You've got to be uninterrupted. You can't. It's a, it's a very short straight. Yeah. Um, and if you sit there and wait for the straight, nine times out of ten, the league has already got away on you. So. Um, you, you're generally not going to pick them up. So uh, rather than going at the at, at the uh, forex sign, which is around about 600 metres out, um, you tend to just make sure that you're you're moving forward there and, and, and not let getting your horse off the bridle, but at least progressing forward in the field. Mm. Um, that's a, that's the way I've always ridden the track. They all say that I take off, but it's far from that. Every the field generally just is easing up, saving mm. themselves for that sprint. Uh, and all you're doing is just keeping your same rhythm sort of thing. That's what I've always tried to do. Yep. Um, but I definitely enjoy riding Ipswich. Well, you've won three Ipswich Cups, according to my records. Yeah, correct, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I've, I've, I've had a fair bit of success there. The 2020 Sydney Autumn Carnival will reach its zenith with the Star Championships at Royal Randwick over two exciting days, April 4 and April 11. A total of $20 million in prize money will be distributed with eight Group 1 races programmed. April 4, the Star Doncaster, the TJ Smith, the Australian Derby and the English Sires Produce. Co-feature will be the New Haven Park Country Championship Final. Saturday 11 features the Longines Queen Elizabeth Stakes, the Swept Sydney Cup, the Australian Oaks and the Coolmore Legacy Stakes co-feature event is the Polytrack Provincial Championship Final. The Championships, April 4 and April 11, the Grand Finals of Australian Racing. Now, Jimmy, you've had brief stints in Singapore and South Korea, but your longest overseas stay was in Macau when Barry Baldwin was training over there. He got you to come over, and didn't you have a good trot with Baz? Yeah, he was... um when he when he called me up, uh, Peter Moody, as I said, he was he was here at, at the time, and I was doing you know, a good ninety percent of his riding. Um, and I did he I did know that he was going planning on moving to to Melbourne. So I I kind of started having to think about okay, well, you know, am I interested in moving to Melbourne? My family were pretty much all entrenched in Queensland, mm. um, and it's so easy to go to Melbourne and, and say it's not happening. Uh, I've always believed if I'm mean, like moving into state, it's very easy to get stale and say, I'll, I'll just go home. Mm. Um, it's very, whereas when you go away and proper go away, travel overseas, you've got to make it work. So you've got mm. to make the best of it. It doesn't matter what situation it is, you've got to make the best of it. And that's what I thought with moving over. I, when Barry offered me the job over there, I, I contemplated, wasn't real sure, and for a long time I was, I just thought about it, and I'm just so glad that my wife said, Jimmy, you're never going to forgive yourself, because Singapore, I could have stayed in Singapore for a lot longer, um, and I didn't, uh, because of certain things with the family and whatnot, and um, when it came to Barry, I mean, I was very confident, he was a gentleman, Barry, he was... 
Mm. Um, yeah, he was offered me the whole stables, and it was just an easy. If I didn't like it, I could go home anyway. Yeah, no pressure. Uh, but correct, yeah. and you know, we just loved it from the time I, from the time I landed. Barry, Barry and Margaret were so accommodating. They made us feel at home. Um, you know, they made my family feel at home. Yeah. Uh, they helped me get my kids into school. Yeah. Uh, so it was just, it was fantastic for us. It really was. And you know, if I didn't have my wife and the family I I have, yeah. you wouldn't stay there. But you know, no. it was just. It was just like home. It was our second home. It was was fantastic. We've got to give Ramey the biggest rap of all here uh, regarding your Macau experience. You two had four kids under six years of age at that time. Mate, that girl is a marvel. (laughs) Yeah, I've always said I couldn't do it. I can't can't be at home by the – when they were that young, I couldn't be at home by – by myself with them. I mean, like I'd always, I'd always be making sure someone else is around to help me out. But <laughs> no, not my wife. She was, she's a marvel, mate. And and she travelled as, as you said. I mean, she travelled with them numerous times by herself. And, you know, she was just, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, like I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be where I am without her. No, she, she is a true marvel. Now those kids, let me have a stab at their ages currently. I've got Corey at twenty-one. I've got Georgia no. at twenty. I've got Madison at okay. 19, yep. and I've got Lachlan at 17. Okay. So Lachlan's 18. You're right. Maddie's 19 turned 20. Yeah. Um, George's 21. Right. And Corey's 23. My calculations, James, were incorrect. <laughs> but, John, look, it's been, a, it's been 18 months since we spoke, so you weren't too far off. <laughs> okay. Now, mate, the retirement last year of the remarkable Jeff Lloyd, takes a lot of pressure off you. You had many a battle with this remarkable competitor. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, um, by far, riding with him is probably one of the biggest highlights of my career. Mm. Not because, um, well, it's everything to do with it. Um, no, he was very hard to get past. He was, uh, but he did. Well, as hard a competitor as he is, mm. he basically literally sat side by side or across from each other in in the room. He's just a gentleman, and you know, I mean, like the, the first year we had the same manager. The first year he won the premiership, he beat me. Uh, I think even going into the last day or the last week, there was an opportunity where I could have beaten him on numerous occasions, but I was just unable to do it. <laughs> um, you know, it was just, yeah, he was by far, I mean, like, he was just a, gen- he, he's a gentleman. Um, one thing I've always said about South Africans, they'll, they'll shake your hand while they're picking in your pocket. So <laughs> <laughs> I've never trusted them, but. That's not very nice. Out. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do appreciate how good he was. I mean, like, you don't, you don't realise uh, until they're gone how good, he, how good someone is. Yeah. When I say gone, retire, I mean. Mm. Um, yeah, but he was um, he was a marvel. He was a marvel. You've had to put your gym sessions on hold during this recovery, but last year you were right into it, and I presume you're getting back into it as quickly as you can. Yeah, I mean, like, I've, yeah, I've, I'm trying hard to. Um, 
even last night, I tried to go for a run last night and my leg can't handle, it's got to be low impact. Yeah. Um, I'm chomping at the bit as it is at, at this present point. I'm, I'm doing a lot of walking, mm. uh, trying to get the leg as strong as I possibly can. So, mm. um, yeah, I, last year was one of those, uh, one of those injuries where you just got to build your arm up, build your arm up, build your arm up. And, and this time there's not a lot I can do because it's your leg and it's bones and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, I just got to let it knit and, and try and get the leg, keep the leg strong as I can without doing any high impact sort of scenario. So mm. that's what I'm trying to do at this present point. Mm. You've always prided yourself on fitness, haven't you? I think even more so uh, since you got into your 40s where jockeys on many occasions can start to battle for rides. But, uh, you know, the older you've grown, the harder you work. Yeah, I, with... Um I think it's I, I think it's one of those things. I, I know these young apprentices. I know what I was like when I was younger, mm. and you probably didn't uh, with with Michael Pelling and and uh, the likes when I was an apprentice. Um, you know, I, I, whilst I never had animosity towards him or anything like that, you respected him. Yeah. But it was just because you you had that young mindset, you had that little bit of animosity. Uh, towards them because they were getting your rides that you you should have been on that you've been doing all the work on, uh, and I couldn't I couldn't get past it. I, I couldn't get on these on on these horses. Michael Pelling was picking them all up, mm. um, and the older you get, you realise that these young. I know why Michael Pelling was so hard to ride against because I was younger, I was a lot more fitter, uh, I bounced a lot easier, yeah. and that's. <laughs> I've I've always thought now I've got to make sure I'm fit mm. uh, because these young riders they're not going away they're just more and more and more are coming mm. uh, and if you don't stay fit you're just not going to compete and no. because they got youth on the side obviously mm. you've ridden for most of Brisbane's biggest stables over the years Bruce McLaughlin Peter Moody Tony Gollan currently Rob Heathcote currently Chris Munts Brian Guy Matthew Dunn when he comes up from Willem Bar, which he does frequently. Now, Jim, over the years, you've had several offers to lock yourself in as a stable jockey, but you wanted no part of that. You've always wanted to freelance. Yeah, you know, it's it. Uh, I was doing I was doing most of Tony Gollan's riding for a long time there, and um, you know, it, Tony Tony uh, basically starts to field out his. Same as Chris Waller does, I think, um, where they start to field out and try and try and branch out and, and, and share the rides around a lot more. Mm. Um, it it just makes it a lot easier for the jockeys as well because obviously you have a good association with trainers. Um, those bigger stables, as you mentioned, uh, all the way through Rob Heathcote, Matthew Dunn, um, and Tony. I mean, these are big trainers that have multiple multiple horses. Mm. Um, that are generally going to be running in the exact same race that you've got rides in uh, if you're doing those stable riding for that one particular stable. So it makes it very, very difficult to actually keep everyone happy. Mm. So that branching yourself out, I think, is just a lot easier and makes makes life a lot easier because you're not having to explain um, why, you, why you've gone one way uh, or, or the other. I think yeah. it's, uh, uh, it's a lot easier uh, for... Everyone involved, uh, owners don't get as dark on you as they as they would have previously, um, and nor, nor do the trainers. Things just seem to flow a lot easier 
Mm. So I think it's a lot better doing it that way. You don't want to come to the end of your writing career and have nothing to do with yourself. So you've invested time and money into the establishment of Jim Burns Saddlery. Now, you've yeah. set up a little workshop underneath that charming old Queenslander home in which you and uh, Ramey live. Uh, it's complete with heavy-duty sewing machines and all sorts of gear and equipment. What sort of things will Jim Byrne, the saddler, be doing in the future? Yeah, I've, um, I've been doing that for, for probably 10 years now. Mm. Um, one thing I always, always notice that, that when jockeys retire, they, they tend to just, just, just you know, walk away from the industry and, and, and don't really have much else to do. Mm. Um, it's a difficult industry to, to keep yourself active in. Uh, so I never wanted to be one of those jockeys that, that I didn't have anything to do when I retired. Um, I wanted to make sure there was always a plan uh, of something else to do when I finally do retire. Um, so I started thinking, what could I do? And, and uh, I, I remember Brett Preble, uh, when he started making these whips and with his father or whatnot, I don't exactly know how that business started out, but mm. I always admired the way he was able to, they were able to build that business from where they started just making the whips to the business they have today. Mm. Um, you know, and, and for me, that was just, it was a true inspiration to watch them work so hard and be so successful. So for mine, whilst I don't think I'll ever get to that sort of caliber, um, you know, I wanted to make sure that I had something to do. Mm. So uh, I started deconstructing the way they make girths and um, de- deconstructing the way they make saddles and boots and uh, the likes of that. And it, my wife went away one time and I had a pair of jeans that I had to fix. And um, I decided to grab the sewing machine and start sewing with it. <laughs> And I subsequently busted a sewing machine, so I had to oh. quickly race out and buy her a brand new sewing machine. Mm. And the lady in the sewing machine shop just gave me a couple of lessons on how to do it. And, mm. uh, that's how it basically snowballed from that. And I just started thinking, oh, it's not that hard. It's mm. pretty easy to make your girths. So I started doing it that way. And mm. you know, whilst it's not a big business at the moment, it's something that definitely keeps me very, very busy. Um, I get a lot of orders and, and, you know, it's a nice little side business that I know that when I finally do retire. And concentrate um, on it, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I really focus on getting to getting to make saddles and, mm. and, and whatnot and there isn't anything that I can't make, I know that. No, exactly. Now, Ramey has probably indicated that she's got some ability as a seamstress and a saddler, but it probably won't be in her best interest if she's too good at it. Well, to be honest, John, I don't think Ramey's ever jumped on a sewing machine yet with downstairs. So anything that's ever come made, she what what'll happen is for the most part I do all the sewing and and and, and whatnot. Um and they do the finishing work. So um I've got to be more confident where I let them go because I'm just a bit, probably a little bit too anal about everything. Yeah. Uh, everything's got to be perfect or else it doesn't go out. So, <laughs> um, and sometimes, you know, it's the only way to stop any fights is you take care of it yourself because yeah. uh, I'm probably a little bit too anal. Now, Jim, um, 
As far as your record is concerned, you've ridden well over 2,000 winners. You've won four Brisbane Jockeys Premierships. I meant to check your state titles. Uh, there have been two or three of those too, I think. The, I, I apologise. The what title? The, the Queensland title, the Queensland Premiership. Oh, the Queensland titles. Mm. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, four, four. Four. Four of those, so, four of each. Yes. Yeah. Yes, correct. Mm. Now, your fitness levels are good. Uh, and, Jim, that's another problem jockeys have with long layoffs. The weight can get out of control. That hasn't happened with you. No, I, as I said previously, John, I, I tend to try and keep as busy as I possibly can. Mm. Um, so whenever I can do something physical, I do it. Um, all the way through when I'd done my uh, shoulder in 2019, um, I walked every day. Uh, every day I went out and walked and um, there's, I, I can't just sit down and watch movies all day or, or, or something like that. I, it's just impossible. So mm. I think with us, uh, jockeys, that is, um, the, the more you keep yourself active, the better your weight's going to be for the, in, in the long run. So you can, you can actually lead that normal life and mm. um, you know, have, have, have meals with your families, and, and, you know, which is very difficult for any jockey uh, to have, sit down and have that normal meal with your family. Um, it's very, very difficult. If you want to be able to do that, you've got to put in the work. Yep. So that's something I've always believed in. Mm. Well, you've been an ornament to Brisbane racing and an ornament to your noble profession, Jim Byrne, and it's been a delight to have you on the podcast. Thanks for giving us so much time. I appreciate it, John. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis.